as I said, uh, when we began our service, uh, we've kind of been going through a, a series exploring what it means to be a Christian in a modern age. And we've touched on more and more every Sunday. It's been about getting to the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We haven't really been interested so much in laying, staying on the outside of what the actions look like, though that, that matters but actually getting to the heart of what motivates our actions, right? Um, a Christian, an honest Christian life or honest spirituality isn't about um, kind of uh, organizing your outward appearance and just sort of living on the surface. It's actually about uh, allowing God, his spirit to live in your, in your very being, your heart. We call our heart, our mind, our heart, the center of who we are. And that uh, is no, um, no simple thing. Um, often when we talk about having an honest spirituality, what we do is we're, we take our whole lives into our hands and we're inviting God to be part of our lives. But our lives aren't um, this beautiful resume that we feel very proud to share with everyone, right? Our whole lives taken as a whole is a mixture of, yeah, there are victories there, but there are also bitter defeats. There are things that we've done or said that... Um, we thought about it, we're proud of, and actually that's great what I did and said there, but often there are things that we do or say that we're not proud of. And often those are the parts of our lives that we try to hold back, right? Put down, and then we curate, uh, this is who I am. We try to have the surface understanding of who we are and present it to people, hopefully hoping that they accept us, right? And yet in that acceptance of that surface that we create, what we lack is true understanding, not being truly understood because we're not truly being seen. But the thing with God is that there is no surface we could put up that would deceive God. He sees us all the way down, right? He sees everything, all the things that we hide from our friends, from our family, the things that we try really hard to hide from ourselves. God sees all that, right? He sees us all the way down. And the beautiful thing is that he loves us. He completely loved us. And so that's where we need to, that's where we're trying to get to, right? Every day, actually, but also on Sunday together. That's where we're trying to land. We're going to get to that. So I'm putting it at the front because we have to walk through uh, maybe a harder a moment, a harder journey to get back to this because we need to talk about what uh, Word of God is saying. We heard two, uh, well, at least one complicated reading and then one maybe challenging reading. St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, and then partnered with Jesus' parable about the wicked tenants. And there's talk of stoning and death and then punishment for that stoning and death, right? So there's a lot of going on there. And we want to dissect that because in the midst of all that, God is sharing a profound word of love for us and it behooves us to sort of pay attention and see what is God saying here? How does that apply to my life and it applies? So we'll start with the word of Jesus. Actually, that's what we're going to cover. Um, this parable, if you read the, the whole section where this, this passage is found in the Bible, of course, we only read a couple of verses. It's actually an extended conversation that Jesus is having, well, with his disciples in a, in a crowd. So his followers, his friends, and his crowd, but also uh, religious leaders. In the Bible, they're called Pharisees. And if you've gone to church for any spell, you've heard this word of Pharisee, and it conjures up like, they're the bad guys, you know. They're uh, the naughty people. They're the ones who are always trying to trip Jesus up or attack his friends. And, and Jesus, well, he's the ultimate good guy, obviously. So, you know, he's always fencing with them. And in the end, always getting the better of them, right? That's the, the setup we have. 
you may have. That's what I had for a long time. And he gives him this parable about, you know, uh, a guy owns some land, he rents it up some people, the people who are renting this land, when the time comes to fork over the, the goods, they don't want to. When the owner sends representatives, servants, they reject them, they you know, kill them, they beat them up. And then, of course, the master says, oh, I'll send my son. I have to respect him. The son goes, and then they kill the son. And Jesus shares this really uncomfortable story and says, well, what will happen to these people? What are the consequences? And they're, of course, forced to answer, oh, they're in trouble in a very serious way. That's, that's the setup. And then Jesus, after he, he sort of uh, shares the story and hears the response, and then all of a sudden he does something that even the most hardened Christian is nervous to do. I, I don't actually do it, but he does it. He quotes a portion of the Psalms. And he goes, have you not heard this song? Which is poetry, biblical poetry. He quotes it, and then he, in a way, says this thing, this applies to me. This poetry that you might be tempted to leave in the realm of aesthetics, I'm bringing into the realm of realism. And it's about me. And I think you need to see this. And the Pharisees end up being grumpy. And they said, well, we're, we're trying to arrest them. That's where the story ends today. All right. What does that mean? What does that mean to us today? A lot of things. But we're asking a specific question here at St. George's. We're asking, how do we um, live as Christians in a modern age? And there's a lot that we've gone through. But basically, what we have been confronting is that to follow Jesus is to follow him with the, with the wholeheartedly, with our whole lives. Right? We talked a big, we spent two Sundays talking about what it means to love. Love not being mere sentimentality, but actually uh, the sacrificial giving of the self for the other. Prioritizing the other over ourselves in a self-sacrificing way, in an infinite way. God's love is so infinite that we're called to love in an infinite way. Not to the people, not just only the people that we like and love, but to the enemies, the people who we so clearly disagree with. Right? There's a shape of life. And if we dig deeper, what does that life look like? Practically, we said, well, practicality, we two Sundays talking about essentially forgiveness. What does that mean? Is it identical reconciliation? What is, we talked, it was a very hard, hard topic you talked about. But we're going through that. That's the journey. And then last time we were together, not last Sunday, we had the blessing of the animals last Sunday. That was awesome. But before that, so we had a little hiatus. We talked about what's something that really trips us up, and be honest. So there we talked about love and forgiveness. It was hard, right? But those have to do with the heart, the posture of the heart. And what's another posture of the heart that trips us up Engaging in honest Christian faith, honest spirituality. And I kind of mentioned it, I think, last time we were together. And I felt uncomfortable because I felt I just lobbed a grenade and didn't talk about it. So I'm kind of catching the, the ball that, that I lobbed last time. We were talking about good deeds. Good deeds. Doing good works. Because I think, I mean, you don't have to be a Christian for this. I think you want to be, you want to be a moral person. You want to be a decent person in this world. We usually look at the lens of like, well, the way that I can prove to myself and if I need to, to others that I'm a good person is to do good things in this community, in the community that I live, doing good works. And in a sense, I endorse that. Please go out there and do good. That's wonderful. And if you read the Bible, the Bible also endorses it. We want to do that, but we're not talking about, we're not leaving it at your actions. It's very tempting. And I think it's very common uh, outside the church, but even in the Christian faith, in the Christian church, to have 
folks say, well, all that really matters is that you're a good person and that you do good works. That's it. Go out, enjoy creation, maybe feel spiritual. But really what matters is that you go out and do some good works and that's it. And my friends, I want to share this with you, that Jesus says that is not it. Not only is that not it, but thinking, conceiving it that way is actually corrosive to an honest spirituality and it's corrosive to your soul, which is why Jesus spends time saying, hey, don't leave it there. Don't, 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 don't do that. That's going to hurt you. And he's showing it very clearly because he's having this conversation with the Pharisees. Remember the, bo- the bad guys, the boogeymen? But I want us to be really honest and clear about who these Pharisees are. Pharisees were very committed religious and spiritual people. Very committed. All right? So here's the idea. The, uh, the ancient Jewish, uh, Jewish people were the, it's called the people of God. They received God's law. Right? So the creator who creates everything speaks to them and says, here is the way to be uh, an honest human, to be a good human. Here is the law. And you follow this 600 plus rules, you're the person. And the Pharisees were a member of this people group who received this divine word. And they said, we're, we're going to live it. Right. And so they went through all the rules and they were living more, you know, 10% of their income, not just money, but they're looking at the herbs, the dill, human, everything. They were giving to God. They were the lives they were living, the clothes that they wore, who they spoke to. It was such a, a tailored life. I mean, if you, if you want to talk about being good, I'm going to be honest, well, I'll put myself in this spot. I'm not a decent person. I'm not as good as a Pharisee. I'm not. I don't, I don't read the Bible as often as they did. They memorized it. I would have like a couple of verses memorized, maybe. Right? Am I doing 10%? Knock me out eight, maybe. Right? And I've never tied an herb in my life. Right? And the clothes I wear worn. It's not there. So if I had to read the whole law, I couldn't say that I'm doing it. But the Pharisees were. Right? So in terms of being a good person, their resume were resume among resumes. And Jesus says to them, you're missing the boat. You're missing it. These people who were doing everything to be the good people were often at odds with Jesus. It's as if their good works were actually tripping them up to opening their eyes to an honest spirituality that was standing and speaking to them right in front of them. And that happens because good works are good in their proper place. But if you take the, uh, the notion of just doing your bit of goodness world and you put that at the center of your personality, it's not meant to live there. If you put good works, good works at the center of your spirituality, it's not meant to be there. So it's going to actually be corrosive and damaging. Because what it functionally does, as Jesus shared in that story, when God sends you his word, his servants, you know, his word, what you're going to end up doing when your good works are at the center is you're going to throw stones at, at, at God's word, who God is. In other words, creating an identity at which at its center says, well, what matters is that I do good work. Do good. That's all that matters. I see Seth, you talk about Jesus, and yeah, you talk about the Bible. It's a good book as far as it goes, but is it true? I don't know. Um, I'm, from a, I'm talking about Christians here, by the way. 
If you're not a Christian, you're exploring, that's great. I'm not, but this is for the Christians here right now. Even Christians. Whatever the Bible says, whatever Jesus is saying, we inculcate in our hearts, well, what matters is actually going to do good works, and that's it. That will be corrosive to your spirituality because that's not meant to be at the center. Because it can't be at the center because that center belongs only to God. See, the hardest thing that I think any human in any culture has had to do, but especially in ours, is to come to a place where we admit a very serious truth that God is God and we are not. God is God and we are not. Because my friends, if there's a God, you might not believe there's one, but if there's a God, then it's God's prerogative to say what's right, what's wrong, what a human life is meant to be lived, because of course God would be the designer and the creator, the artificer of who we are would understand us. And so if God would say, well, here are these commandments, here's this way to live, if God is God, then we can't be there and sit at the table with God and say, well, I see what you're saying, God, but I disagree with number four, number seven, uh, and number 222. I don't think I want to do those. And pick and choose. We just couldn't do that. That'd be ludicrous because we're not God. But God is God. But functionally, we live that I live that life. We live that life. We pick and choose what we want. And the part that we pick is, well, yeah, I'll do my bit of good. Right? I'll be, I'll be generous with the extra that I have. I'll be generous. But God doesn't say that. God doesn't say, hey, be generous with the extra income they have. God says, take everything that you have and be exceedingly generous with it. Right? Right? Oh, my time. Well, if I have extra time, then I'll, then I'll do things for, for God or do these things. But really, I want to focus on what I want, I want to focus on. And God says, no, all time is mine. You don't choose when you're born. And you can't choose to stay longer than I decided. So your time is actually not your own. You should be asking me how you should be using your time. And then, of course, I'll share them. In other words, our lives are meant to be oriented to God and living for God. But that, my friends, now that I've said it out loud and you're thinking about it, is that not wildly uncomfortable? That is uncomfortable. I don't like that. I don't like that life. I want to take my vacations too. I want to enjoy that life. Spend the money how I want to. Right? Live how I want to. Enjoy my creature comforts. A number of years ago now, uh, I've mentioned it before, so if you come here, I know you've heard this. Uh, one of my favorite philosophers still, uh, Thomas Nagel. I'm not sure if you've heard of him, but he's a big deal uh, in the philosophical world. And yeah, up until he retired, he was a professor at NYU. Just a big fan of his writings. Uh, and he had a chance to do a review for the New York Times. He did a book review of one of my other favorite philosophers of all time. Actually, his work brought me to Christianity, uh, Alvin Flanagan, if you care about Dutch Reformed theology. But uh, he had written a book back then about faith and science. And so it got really popular at that time. And so Tom Nagel got to review one of my heroes reviewing another hero. And I was like, oh, man, I want to read this review. And so I read it. And it was, it was, I think it was fair. Tom, Thomas Nagel is uh, agnostic atheist. So, of course, planning as a Christian, he wasn't going to agree with its ultimate thesis about, hey, God's real. But Thomas Nagel said, you know what? This is a really great book. puts really great arguments. And at the end of the review, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, it makes me uncomfortable thinking about this book and writing this review that some of the most well-informed people that I know 
are religious or Christian. And he said, and then he writes later in the review, he says, um, I am not persuaded by this book, not because the arguments aren't are well articulated or sound. I'm not persuaded because I don't want this to be true. I don't want the universe to be this way. I don't want the universe to be that there's a God and that I have to give an account. So I don't find this persuasive. It's well articulated, but I don't agree. But I want to be honest because I don't want this world to be this way. And oh, the flack poor Tom Nagel got from the non-Christian community because what they wanted to say was, oh, this is nonsense. Of course, it's just baloney and it's funny. But he's an honest dude. He didn't say that. I think he was too vulnerable and they castigated him for that. But the thing is, when he said that, when he said that in that review, it was like he put a mirror to me because I saw myself. I also don't want, often don't want that to be true. And it's overwhelming to think that if I had to stand before a perfectly good God, how I would measure up. Now you can't tell. I know you can't tell by when I play guitar on Sundays, but I started my university career in classical guitar. There's a time when I could, my, my nails were gross and long, but I could, I could rip it. And it was a big part of my life. I thought I was going to be a music teacher and I played a lot. And there was no more dreadful day than Wednesday. Because every Wednesday I had my one-on-one lessons with my instructor. And unlike an essay where you can really pad it with a lot of extra words, you sat down with a professor and he could tell you hadn't practiced or what you hadn't practiced. And it was, I'm just dying. And then I'd sit there and then John was going to talk to me and he's like, well, this, that, the other. Because he was such a good player. I wanted to like, I want to be good too, but I'm playing him. In the face of his greatness, I, I shrunk. With other, when I was with my other friends who were also kind of musicians, but we were all peers, we all ripped it, right? It was very comfortable, whatever. But the moment I was in that room with Jonathan, I just felt so nervous because I knew how good Jonathan is. You and I think that we're really good people. What do you think is going to happen when you stand in the presence of living God who is holy, perfect, holy, just, holy, loving? Our good works that we think are good are going to turn to ash in our hands and in our mouth. Compared, compared to God, my love for my children, who I love so much, is like hate compared to God's love for me and for you. So Jesus knows that. We need to do that. That's why Jesus is saying it's a bad deal for you to put your good works at the center of your life as if, as if they could withstand my holy gaze. St. Paul understood that. That's what he's talking about that letter. I don't know if you know this, but Philippians is the last letter that, that Paul ever wrote. He wrote many letters to churches. I don't think he ever knew whose his writings would become the Bible and we're going to be talking about that. He's just writing off like weekly emails to the church. Hey, stop hating each other. So he's writing this letter to Philippians. He is in, he's writing it from, from jail, from Roman prison. He knows he's at the end of his life. He's appealed to stand for Caesar. He knows it's not a waiting deal for him. Based on what he's going to share, he's going to die. He knows that. And so he's taking stock of his whole life. And he's basically giving his last word to the church. I have to say one last thing. What could I say? And as he's reflecting on his whole life, he says to the church and therefore to us, he says, my friends, every worldly achievement that could be achieved, I have achieved it. He gives me the whole resume, an excellent resume. What does he say? Oh, I'm, I'm, I was, he's like, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. 
I, I'm, a, I'm a, uh, to ask the law of Pharisee, which for us, like, oh, okay. But you have to hear what he's saying. He says, of the tribe of Benjamin. Quickly, he comes from a Jewish culture, which pedigree means a lot. So when he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin, he's saying, we're all Jewish here, right? I understand that. Uh, but my tribe, my family is for Benjamin. And in the history of Israel, when the kingdom split apart and all the tribes uh, def- uh, betrayed David's family, the, the rightful king, <coughs> Judah, Paul's saying, yeah, I'm not from the tribe of Judah. I'm not a, I'm not a royal person, but I'm from Benjamin. The one tribe has stayed loyal. That means that I'm better than you all because I'm loyal, but you guys are from family of traitors. But I come from family of loyal. And I'm Pharisee, which they understood. You think you're good? I'm, I'm Pharisee. I do good works and memorize the Bible and live it up. I achieved everything. Elsewhere, he says, I, I studied at the foot of Gamaliel, which is basically saying, I got like uh, summa cum laude from MIT. You can't stand with me in terms of intellect. I've achieved everything. And then he says, but now I can see that all that, as cool as you think that is, and ones I thought that was cool too, I consider it, and in translation says rubbish. My friend, that's a cursory word he's there. I'm not going to say it now, but he goes hard. All that is just trash that I might know Christ crucified. Jesus is everything. My resume, it's nothing. But Jesus living in me and I living in Jesus, that's perfection. And that's where I find my rest in peace. And that's what he's talking. He could have said anything in his life, but that's what he's saying, his last words. This is what matters. This is what helps you stand when you should by rights collapse. The love of God found in me. I'm found in God's love. But that is only given to us in Jesus. And therefore, each human being has a choice. Do you want to stand in your very being, in your ontology, the metaphysics of it? Do you want to stand with your good works at the center of who you are? Because I'm going to tell you, I got a taste of playing guitar in front of Jonathan. I did not like that. I don't covet standing before God and saying, I did all these good things. I was a priest. No. My friends, for the life of me, I don't want that conversation. And Jesus says, you don't have to have it. Trust me. If you put the good works in your, into your center of yourself, it's like throwing, stone, throwing stones and killing honest spirituality. The good works put at the center, not honest. That's really you lowering God's standard and insisting that he accept your lower standard. God's not going to do that. I wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. God won't either. We're meant to meet God's standard. I know we can't. And therefore, Jesus comes and says, you don't have to do that heavy lifting. I'll do it for you. Just trust me. Right? God didn't come to repair your bad behavior. Right? He came to heal a relationship. And I want to end with this because uh, uh, it's a form of repentance for me, but we all should hear it. Uh, last Sunday, we had the Blessing of the Animals. Beautiful service. I thought it was really wonderful. I really enjoyed it. And we had a guest who was sitting here, very lovely uh, young woman, Sam. And later she sent me an email. I had a coffee with her this week. Um, she has an indigenous heritage. And she said to me, and I, I think very respectfully, and very, it was a very hard conversation, but very good in the end. She said, um, I learned that you guys didn't do any services for the, uh, you know, this, uh, recognizing what the churches have done to hurt, severely hurt indigenous communities. And I was very surprised by that, that you celebrated animals, but you didn't take time to 
to honor or remember reflecting. You're Anglicans. You had a part in it. What happened? And I said, what could I say? Except you're absolutely right. What a gross oversight. And she nodded. She's like, uh, we, shared, we shared a bit. We talked. She was very gracious to me, more than I think she needed to be. You know, she was also a sister in Christ, which is very beautiful. Um, so we were talking about that. For me, I was holding this very heavy, this heaviness. And part, something that I said very feebly is like, you know what? Honestly, I'm not that very well educated in what's going on. That's an embarrassment for me, but I should know more, but I don't know some. But as you're sharing a lot of things, wow, I didn't know these things, this information. And I guess I should have. So that's on me. It's not defense, just honest. That's what's happened. And then she said, well, like a feeble word is better than no word at all. Silence is not, like on these issues, uh, it's not, not neutral. But you, have, you, should, you, know, you should say something. You're ignoring something. That ignoring um, hurts. There's a, a fractured relationship when talking about reconciliation. Yes, we have to reconcile with creation, but that's a reconciliation has to happen between people groups here. You know, she was very eloquent and I was listening to her. I'm not sure you were right. Absolutely right. So as, an, as an, a very important aside, we're going to be doing that in, in, in here at St. George's. I'm learning from that. We're going to do that. But I want to also, from her insight, from deep wisdom, I want to take an insight there. Because she said there's a fractured relationship, you know. And I had said, well, like, some of the history I know, like, what the churches have done to the money that's been paid out, all that jazz. Not that that matters in terms of, like, yeah, it feels, as you say out loud, like, does that matter, though? All this good, you know, this money that the churches have doled out, the Catholic church, the Anglican church, does that matter? Because what she was saying is, I'm not interested in your good works. There's a relational, relational thing that's broken here. You have to recognize that something's broken here. And first, the recognition of the broken relationship. And then maybe we can start talking about what you've done, what the churches have done, what you're doing in St. George's, all that, right? There's a, a, a logical ordering to that. Because we're talking about a broken relationship. And she's absolutely right. I can't. She nailed it. I was very much in the wrong. M, therefore, you know. And that's all of us. As a Christian, she'd also tell you this. I'm confident. That's all of us with God. You want to do all these good works? You have a broken relationship with God. Jesus came to heal that. Once that's healed, you can say, Jesus, you're Lord, and I live for you. Then let's talk about the good works you're doing, because that's going to prove that you accept Jesus as Lord. But don't ignore Jesus as Lord and just try to do all these works, not healing a broken relationship. Good works don't heal, right? I don't care how many dishes I wash. If I was mean to my wife, I have to say sorry first. And then go wash the dishes. Right? That's true about human relationships. That's true about our relationship with God. And it's important that we're honest about that. Now, for instance, I want to invite you to hold that. In a minute, we're going to go to the Lord's table, Holy Communion. And this is a time when we come to Jesus and we're reconciled. In a very real way, He gives us His grace. I want to invite you to not ignore this. But come to Jesus in honesty. Because a human being, you, you say sorry to a human being, you're being very vulnerable, they might bite you. Yeah, you should be sorry. But God, you say sorry to him, he will always, as the word is broken in your mouth, he will hug you. Bear hug you. He'll always forgive you. He'll always welcome you. He'll always be with you. He'll never turn you away. And therefore, he's the only person that can be trusted, really trusted with your vulnerable self. I invite you to bring that. Not to me. Not tell me to come to me. Come to Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's right. Gracious and loving God, I give you thanks and praise that um, when we want to ignore, uh, we want to forget that we have that 
often a broken relationship, God, you don't you don't forget, but you don't badger us, you don't belittle us, you don't you don't wipe us out of you love us so much. You always come to us, always so eager to forgive and to love. You empower us to say sorry, God. I pray that each one of us here, our own unique stories, our own unique spiritual journeys, God. If we put anything in the center of our lives that isn't you, I pray that you help us reorder our lives in life giving way, that we might love you honestly and loving you in truth, that we might actually love those around us, lead the world with your love. Help us to do this, we pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Mm-hmm.